Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. And so we call our program the Lion's Den University Report. Uh, even highly uh, credentialed professors and administrators who are followers of Jesus Christ and believers in the Bible uh, sometimes find it hostile to uh, live out that life and uh, speak out for their views in supposedly an open setting. And so uh, we're here today, though, uh, talking about another relevant issue to our universities and our Christian faith, and that's at a conference on science and faith sponsored by the Discovery Institute, which is out of Seattle. Uh, but we are here with uh, one of the speakers at the conference, Dr. Jay Richards. And uh, Jay, welcome to our broadcast. Well, it's great to be with you, Glenn. Thanks so much. And you're the co-author of The Privileged Planet. And uh, that's the book that got Guillermo Gonzalez in trouble. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm the philosopher and he's the astronomer. Uh, and when the book came out in 2004, it, you know, there's also a documentary made of it. And in some ways it was the, it was a sc special screening and event at the Smithsonian that kind of put it on the, the national radar because it became so controversial that the Smithsonian had agreed to do the event right. um, in many ways. And he was teaching at Iowa State University, uh, a very solid publishing record. In fact, one of the, the best publishing records among uh, the science faculty, and he was one of the junior faculty, but a religion professor named Hector Avalos started a petition against him to get him denied tenure, all based on the fact that he had written a book arguing for purpose and design in the universe, this right. book, The Privileged Planet, and so they denied him tenure, and he's, um, and some people talk, talk about white martyrs, people that are not literally martyrs, not literally killed for their faith, but right. they are tormented, and sure. he's been somebody that's been tormented and persecuted, and that's, yeah. you talk about the lion's den, that's where, uh, on this issue, this question of intelligent design, making the, it's okay, it, it, the culture seems to be okay if, if you want to sort of believe in God as long as it's your own private fairy tale. But, right. but the idea that you claim there's actually public evidence, right, that points sure. toward purpose in the universe, that, they think, well, that, no, wait, reality, that's our territory. You're not allowed to talk about that, and so they get very sure. hostile. And so the idea that in our book, we argued that the universe, there's evidence not only that it's designed for life, but for scientific discovery itself. And now, how right. you make that an anti-science argument is beyond <laughs> me, but uh, in and, any case. By the way, I think, wasn't it a... Uh, funded by a foundation uh, that had peer-reviewed scientists had looked at, oh, the, absolutely. at the study of Yeah, the, the absolutely. And, yeah, and in fact, that's right, because with Guillermo and I, before we even worked on it, he actually submitted for his own research, he was at the University of Washington at the time, uh, on this uh, to the Templeton Foundation, and the proposals were peer-reviewed, and it was funded and got funded at, at the University of Washington, and then at Iowa State, ironically, for work on this book. Right. But his publication record, quite apart from the book, he had a Cambridge University Press upper-level textbook and, you know, dozens of, of peer-reviewed scientific publications. None of that counted, though. It right. was essentially uh, the fact that he was publicly known as an advocate of intelligent design sure. was all that seemed to matter. And so right. it was really just a terrible thing, especially if you know him as one of the most humble and uh, loving people. And, you know, and, and highly qualified and Highly as an qualified, absolutely. A very serious research astronomer that man he manages to still crank out research uh, papers and get them published even while carrying a full load and three young kids in the house. And so, um, yeah, in many ways, I always say the worst things that happen to me are that people say mean things about me on Twitter and on Wikipedia. You know? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, we had him on the program here mm. a number of years back and uh, talked about this subject. And Avalos, the 
head of the religion department mm. was an atheist. Yes, okay? exa- yeah, exactly. Which, that's a typical university. Exactly, today, and know? attacking and, the professor of astronomy and physics. You right, know? <laughs> and uh, so it's ironic. And then, of course, the uh, this incident became part of that movie Expelled. Yes, uh, intelligence not welcome by mm-hmm. Ben Stein. And I wish Ben Stein would re- renew his interest in that subject because I haven't heard anything lately. But he was yeah. also expelled. He uh, was after uh, writing uh, or producing the movie. No, he was exactly. I mean. It was something that he was actually very interested in and obviously very interesting and animated character. In fact, I participated in a debate with the atheist Christopher Hitchens that Stein moderated as part of the promotion for the the release of that film way back in in 2008 right before it came out. But I think he got so much pushback that he just thought, okay, yeah. I'm just I'm just not going to talk about this. Right. Well, even at the university level, he was invited to be the commencement speaker at the University of Vermont. And right. because he did the film, uh, the, they pressured him to the withdraw. Uninvite him. Yeah, yeah it's to crazy. Uninvite him at that, at oh, that yeah. setting. So there is that hostility there, and we would uh, pray, we encourage our listeners to pray for revival at the universities. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, but uh, you're teaching at a Catholic university. Yes. They're the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. is that correct? That's exactly right, uh-huh. yeah. And uh, what are your responsibilities there? Well, and so I'm on the faculty at the Bush School of Business, not named after George W. Bush. It's mm-hmm. a different, okay. <laughs> different Bush. Right. Um, and it's a business school. It's just about six years old. We used to be a department uh, in the School of Arts and Sciences. But it's funny because this is sort of the growth area in at the university, we have about 20% of the undergraduates are in the business school. But I'm a philosopher by training, and so my, okay. I joke that I'm, I'm a sort of a shameless generalist. And so I, mm-hmm. so I have these two intellectual tracks. One is this intersection of science and faith, and the other is the connection between uh, Christian faith and economics. And so I that's see. what I focus on. I also am overseeing the development of a curriculum for a distance uh, learning program. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is it's funny. There's actually two of us that are philosophers that actually teach in the business school. So that may, okay. be, that may be a distinction that isn't true anywhere else. Sure. But, uh, the Catholic University of America was founded in, in 1887 as a kind of first uh, research university uh, of the Catholic Church in the United States. It's called, called the Bishop's University. It's the Pontifical University in the United mm-hmm. States, which means okay. something in a Catholic setting. Um, but that means that they're, you know, bishops that are on the on the board of trustees. But it's a it's actually a really great place to be, a mid-sized school, 3,600 undergrads and grad students right in in D.C., but it's the only campus in Washington, D.C. that's green. That is, it has trees and grass. It feels like an actual campus (laughs) rather than, you know, just sort of an urban setting. And so, yeah, it's a a terrific place. In fact, my my older daughter is a sophomore at Catholic University right now. Yeah. And now, do you have uh, liberty there? I know you know we've been on a, a few of the Catholic university mm-hmm. campuses yeah. that have gone much uh, into secularism. Yes, exactly. And is uh, is the opportunity there for spiritual? Uh, discussions or prayer or uh, other uh, yeah. exemplifications absolutely. of Christianity. Oh, in, absolutely. In and in some ways, if, if anybody that knows the history of Catholic, Catholic U of Catholic University knows it went through a sort of dark time in the 70s, in which it started, you know, honestly say to kind of fall away. And there was a, uh, a priest named Charles Curran that was, a, a, as Catholics would say, a dissenter, was heterodox okay. uh, and brought some people with it. But it's been in, a, I would say, a, a return and a revival for many years now. Uh, and in fact, this year we were in Washington, D.C. And so the president announced that because students always get permission to go to the March for Life, you know, the March oh, for right. Women is the March for Life here. Sure. I was in, I was yeah. in Dallas. Um, and so we started this year 
uh, we just cancel classes during the five or six hours of the March for Life happens. Tremendous, yeah. Yeah, which I don't think happens in very many places. But I mean, we're literally three or four metro stops from the March for Life, right. so we end up with, you know, our whole student body and a lot of the faculty end up at the March for Life. And that's encouraged. Nice. I mean, the president yeah. marched uh, with the students yesterday. So yeah, it was actually yeah. kind of painful. It's such so much, you know, I look forward to that now, and I realized, oh, darn, we scheduled this conference the same day as the March for Life. Who did right. that? Okay. But I thought I missed it. But my my our townhouse in D.C. was actually filled with students from other wow. schools that came in, and we so we gave yeah. them places to stay. Tremendous, tremendous. And I've been on that uh, march as well, and uh, Catholics and Protestants uh, oh, joined yeah. in in pre- pre- uh, preserving life. Absolutely, and and we need to do, yeah, and we need to do babies. that. I mean, unfortunately, I think as the as the culture becomes more hostile, serious Orthodox faithful Christians are going to find more and more reason to work together, and this is just one case. Right. That. Yeah, and uh, of course we're concerned, uh, you know, that a lot of the Catholic pro- uh, politicians yeah. oh, are gosh. leaders in the uh, yes, I know. abortion movement. Yeah, low, so, yeah exactly. Uh, lowercase, uh, lowercase c. It's it's really it is out absolutely outrageous. The Speaker of the House and people that are, are radically pro-abortion. And the reality is, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to present yourself for communion uh, if you are either procuring or directly advocating abortion. And so yeah. uh, the Speaker who will go unnamed, she. Should should not be showing up uh, for communion um, and doing that at the same sure. time. And there's some bishops that are willing to sort of enforce that and do, and that there's some that are sort of afraid of what might happen. But the reality is they're they're directly contradicting one of the fundamental claims of their faith when they do that. Right, right. And we believe human life is sacred from the Absolutely. point of conception. That uh, yeah. there's a new individual there from a scientific perspective. Absolutely. You know, the DNA is yeah, yeah, brand new. Unique, unique, unique yeah, individual. each of us, everyone listening to this program was once a single-celled embryo and then a fetus and a pre-born and a newborn. It's just it's different stages of a unique human life. Right. Great. And, uh, but let's get back for a minute to the book, The Privileged yeah. Planet, that uh, we talked with Guillermo about before. Mm-hmm. And you've been talking about this subject yes. to, uh, at the conference here in terms of uh, how uh, you have a particular way you phrased it, yes. how that, uh, the earth is particularly designed for life and also designed to observe the universe. Exactly. So, that's, the sort of, that's the burden of our argument is not just to say that the conditions for building a habitable planet that is a life-friendly planet are very rare in the universe. You've got to get a lot of stuff right. But as it happens, that those rare places where life can exist are also the best place places for doing science. So the rare places where there can be observers like ourselves are also the best places for observing. Now that's a very fishy kind of pattern that you would define that, that those two things overlap. It's what you would expect if the universe were designed for discovery. It's certainly not what you would expect otherwise. And so we think this is a you know, it's, it's a part of the design argument and the so-called fine-tuning argument in physics, but it goes beyond just saying the universe is designed for life. It's actually designed right. for us to be able to discover. And as Christians, I mean, we, we believe, this is Romans 1. Right. And so to actually find this in the evidence of astronomy, though, that it, it turns out those, that we can find this stuff that, you know, Psalm 19 and Romans 1 tell us we actually discover it in the scientific evidence itself. It's, it's an exciting time. And it's, it was exciting to be the ones that kind of brought this evidence first to Right. And so uh, God designed us, and this is a unique place that human life and consciousness can exist in the universe. But also, uh, I think one of the illustrations was the uh, lunar eclipses. Yeah, or, or maybe solar describe eclipses. Solar yeah. eclipses by yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and so we. So two of the very most important things you need in order to have a habitable planet is a large moon, like we have. People don't know that, but if we didn't have the moon, the 
gravitational interactions of the Earth and the Moon are very important. One for the tides, which keep life uh, you know, on the surface and the mixing of the elements, but it also stabilizes the tilt of the Earth on its axis. Mm. Without the Moon, we'd be wobbling and have radical sort of erratic uh, weather. So the Moon's location and size is important to life. And right. then our distance from our host star are very important to life. Um, You've got to be the right distance so it's not yeah, too hot, not too cold. Yeah. So that fixes the size of these two things in our sky. Right. But as it happens, when you get these two key ingredients for allowing life on the Earth, it sets up the conditions for perfect solar eclipses in which the moon and the sun take up the same exact space in the sky. So you right. get this perfect match between these two radically different objects, which by itself is sort of eerie, uh, but as it happens, perfect solar eclipses played a very, very important role in the history of scientific discovery. So again, this is one of many examples sure. of this link between the needs for life and the needs for, right. for science. And, and how that lines up, you said that the size of the moon and the distance to the sun are the factors, and what is the no, ratio it's, it's there? Yeah, so the, the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, but it's right. 400 times closer. And so okay. and they're totally different objects, but yeah. they're, of course, the same shape. <laughs> right. um, and so you get this really eerie matching of it. And so that's why we get these perfect eclipses. If yeah. you're in the path of totality, and in Pennsylvania, by the way, 2024 is going to be, <laughs> the, the path of totality is going to go right through Pennsylvania. Right. And so okay. you, you have an opportunity have to see it again. Be alert to that. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I mean, to think, to make that a little more graphic, you know, we have an item here, the moon, that's mm -hmm. one four hundredth the size yeah. of the sun, and yet it blocks out all of the light of the sun exactly. at one point. Yes, okay? exactly. Because the sun is far enough away. It's far to, enough to away. And, and you get the per amazing match of the size. And right. what's funny, I mean, the, the details, the technical details are sort of complicated to explain, uh, in, you know, with, without several minutes. But you need, in order to do some of the scientific discoveries that were made, such as the confirmation of the general theory of relativity, you needed that near-perfect match. If the moon had taken up too much of the sun, it was much larger or it was much smaller, uh, these experiments wouldn't have worked. Great. Well, that was the uh, privileged planet. It's still available in book and DVD form, yes. I believe. And my guest for this edition of The Lion's Den has been Dr. Jay Richards, a professor of business, uh, ethics, and economics at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Reports. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com. 